today's reading is Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I, must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. For I trust in you, in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Thanks, Pete. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Etienne, and uh, yeah, warm word of welcome to Marks. If you're visiting with us this morning, uh, you're catching us uh, on a brilliant weekend. Uh, and my word of thanks as well to everyone who participated in what happened out there uh, Friday and yesterday. We are grateful, and it is super, super exciting to see what God is doing and how he's using people in our midst to minister his grace, his goodness, and the gospel to each other. So just so much to celebrate. I want to start by sharing a, a, a personal story, I suppose, from our, our family history. One of my grandfathers on my mother's side um, was a fantastic man. He, he, was a, he was a strong leader. He was a, he was a school principal. Uh, eventually went on in, in, in the political arena to become a mayor of what is now a fairly sizable city in, in, uh, in South Africa. Um, he, was, he was a Christian man. He, he was an elder, strong leader in his church. And at age 12, when I was 12, uh, he passed away. He, he took his own life. He committed suicide. And it was, well, it is, to date, still one of the things that, that bemuses me. What I would give to have a conversation with him. You know, simply to, to explore, to crack open with him, uh, particularly as, as, uh, as, as a believer, what, what, what went on between himself and, uh, and the Lord Jesus? What, what prayers were prayed? Um, how, did, how did his relationship with God play out in, in this, what was obviously for him, and, and we knew that, a long-standing uh, long and an ongoing battle um, some of it circumstantial, some of it physical. Uh, but where was, where was God? What was prayer like? How did He become so downhearted that there seemed to have been no other option? 
there's no way that I can know exactly <laughs> the answers to my questions. But I can know. And I can pass on to you today as we conclude uh, the events of this weekend, what, what God's Word says to us, what, what He wants us to do when we are downhearted. And we're not talking about downhearted because the coffee was a bit cold this morning by the time you got to drink it. We're talking downhearted. <laughs> we've had brokenhearted, we've had wholehearted praise, and, and this is downhearted. What do we do? What, 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 what does God want us to do? What does he invite us to do? What does he enable us to do when we are that downhearted? David was a downhearted man. Often, very often. <laughs> and Psalm 13 gives us three things. One author, Montgomery Boyce, gives us three things we see from his life that, that, that he did, how he dealt with being downhearted. And I want to just unpack them. First one's the longest, second one's a bit shorter, third one is the shortest, but the deepest. All right, what did David do? Number one, <laughs> Tell God how you feel. You know, this is what David did. David, David went to the table. He, in his downheartedness, in his worst moments, the one thing he always did was he, he went to the table. He went to God. And here's what he did. He, to start with... <laughs> He told God, in no uncertain terms, what's going on for him. Here's some four quick things that we see David telling God in Psalm 13. The first thing he tells God very openly is saying, God, I feel abandoned. I feel like you are abandoning me. And consider the strength of this, I don't want to say an accusation, but at least a description of how he feels. I'm not saying God has abandoned him, but this is how he feels. Four times he says, how long? How long? How long? How long? <laughs> Am I going to feel like this forever? How long am I going to be this downhearted? One Scholar writes this, or writer writes this, he says, it's not under the sharpest, but under the longest trials that we are most in danger of fainting. Surely by now I must be feeling better. Surely by now <laughs> things must have changed. Surely by now I must have met someone. Surely by now my health must have improved. The length of time is the worst. It gets real hard when it gets real long. God, I feel abandoned. The second thing David tells God is, God, it feels to me like your, your blessings have been removed from me. Turn your face to me. How long will you hide your face from me? Sorry, is what he's saying. 
In the Bible, when God's face is shining upon us, it, it, it's sort of metaphoric for God's blessings, good things in our lives that we look at and we say, this is going well in my life. You know, I'm really content. I can see it. Visible, tangible, physical things, where I live, who I have in my life, the relationships, my job, those sorts of things. It's going well. I, I'm blessed in a tangible and physical sense. And David is saying to God, how long will you hide your face from me? How long will I not see the blessings as I look around me. Friend, you say that to yourself today. I look at my, my marriage or my, my former marriage. My children, how their lives are turning out, what they're doing to themselves. The lack of friendship in my life. My work situation. My relationship with my church. Even perhaps my relationship with God, the, the blessings, I just don't see it. In fact, in any of these areas, as I look around, I see a removal of blessing, a heaviness and a hardship. God, it feels like your blessings have been removed from my life. God, it feels like you've abandoned me. And God, number three, I'm at the mercy of dark thoughts and uncontrollable emotions. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? In Queensland, we have these bushfires at the moment, and I read in the paper the other day, again, how you have this curious thing with bushfires at a certain size, how it creates its own weather system. It's unstoppable. <laughs> it just keeps itself going, and, and, and those poor people who are in the path of those fires are utterly and completely at the mercy of those fires. How often are your thoughts like that? I'm at the mercy of my thoughts. I can't stop it. I can't stop wrestling with the feelings of guilt, the feelings of anxiety, the feelings of worry. I wake up in the middle of the night with it. I don't even want to think about this anymore, and I cannot stop. God, I am at the mercy of my uncontrollable emotions. Just a couple of things on that. Martin Lloyd-Jones is a very early person who wrote about this. He, he just says two things that we should remember. Firstly, I'm quoting, foremost among the causes of spiritual depression is what he called temperament. You know, there is such a thing as personalities who are prone to depression and to anxiety, if there is such a thing as the science of mood disorders, and I'm just flagging that, that you need to look into that if you are forever under uh, the power or the mercy of uncontrollable thoughts and emotions. You know, uh, yes, there is a spiritual side to that, but there is also a physical side, and we need to bear that in mind at this point. So I'm going to throw that out there as a disclaimer. Number two, sometimes we feel like we are at the mercy of our thoughts because of physical circumstances that are just putting us through a season of life that causes this. Lack of sleep, if you've got a young child, is going to make you feel pretty, uh, pretty downhearted at times. Conflict in a relationship might uh, do that. If you're overworked and you're exhausted, uh, we may feel this sense of build-up of uncontrollable thoughts and emotions. God, I feel abandoned. I feel that you've removed all blessing from my life and I'm at the mercy of my thoughts 24-7. And lastly, 
God, some people are truly out to hurt me. How long must my enemy triumph over me? You know, we have all sorts of enemies in our life. Physical enemies, perhaps people who, who want to hurt you. <laughs> you may have that. You certainly all have the greatest enemy in Satan. You're a target. Lloyd-Jones, again, the devil is the adversary of our souls. He can use our temperaments or our physical conditions. He so deals with us that we allow our temperament to control and govern us. There is no end in the ways in which the devil produces downheartedness. We must always, always bear him in mind. God, this is how it is. This is how I feel. This is what is going on inside of me. I'm at the table and I'm telling you how it is. That's what David did. When he was downhearted, it's what he did. It's where he started. But note this. Uh, there's no use staying there. We live in a culture where we're sort of, in a sense, we like being in this place. Uh, we like complaining, we like whinging, and we like to hover in this place. David never did that. From the dark depths of despair, he did, and we must move. We must move towards the dawn of a new day, and David does that in the second part of the psalm. It moves on. Look on me and answer. Oh my God. <clears throat> God, can I, can I have some of the blessings back in my life? <laughs> Lord, restore my marriage. Return my children to me. Give me a friend that I long to have. Let me meet someone. Give me the job. Lead me to the church. Change things. Heal me. Heal my... Heal my disease. Heal my relationship. Do something, God. Would you, would, you, would you restore to me the blessings that I yearn for, that I seek for, that I desire so strongly? Answer me, O oh God. Break the silence. Particularly if that's the silence that you find in your life of prayer. May I hear from you again. <laughs> I think in Psalm 51, was it that you guys looked at over the weekend? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I want to hear from you. Give light to my eyes, otherwise I'll sleep the sleep of death. God, this is what I really want you to do. And, and, and can I ask you this morning, do you feel comfortable to ask God? <laughs> it may seem like a simple question, but so often, too often, I, I find we... We waver in our confidence to approach God and to ask him. The writer of James says you do not have because you do not ask. Sometimes when you ask, you do not ask with faith. I don't know how your relationship with God or your understanding or picture of God has been shaped. Is he a being that is far off, 
too transcendent, too great, too far removed to care for you, to hear at the table what you want to tell him and what you want to ask of him. He's not. (laughs) The Lord's Prayer begins with these words, Our Father in heaven. (laughs) Our, your ours, your mine. This is my place at the table. (laughs) You're in heaven. You are almighty, supreme, sovereign. And yet, you're my dad. I can ask you. I should ask you. This psalm and all of Scripture bids us come to the table and ask, 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 ask. And then we move to the last part of this psalm, which I want to introduce by way of a question. I know there's many of you here who would say to me, you know what, I did come to the table. In fact, I am at the table. I have asked. I've been asking for years and months, my whole life, and, and, and nothing's changed. Nothing, I don't see the blessings restored. I don't necessarily see an ultimate uh, full end to the, to the drought or the silence that exists between me and God. Uh, why is that? And, and, and what do I do? What is there for me in that, in that unanswered prayer, in those unchanged circumstances? There is something for you. And here's where I believe the psalm gets to its deepest. Psalm 13 is fascinating in its structure. It has three parts. That's just not for literary nerds to know. It's actually important. The first part has five lines in it. The second part has four lines in it. And the third part, which is, should put it up, this part. I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I'll sing to the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Your English says four lines. In Hebrew, there's three lines. It goes down from five to four to three. You know what that's saying to you? It's saying to you that when we come to the table in being downhearted, when we truly come to the table, when we truly bring our hearts as they are to God, there's movement. It starts with this great sense of uh, anxiety, this flurry of fears, of worries, of concerns, of anxieties. And then as we ask God and we place our requests at his feet, we move to this end place where it gets quiet. But, despite all my anxieties, because I leave my requests at your feet, I trust in your unfailing love. (laughs) There's a quietness there. There's a peace there. There's a rest. One writer puts it this way, beautifully. Please take the scene as I read it. This song, Psalm 13, as it were, casts up constantly 
lessening waves until it becomes still as the sea when smooth as a mirror and the only motion discernible at last is that of the joyous ripple of calm repose. Church, this is where coming to the table should leave us when we're downhearted. I don't know how long it may take for God to change your circumstances and I don't know why exactly he allows them to continue for as long as they have. I don't know how long the depression may last. I don't know how long the cancer may be around. I don't know how long the hurtful attempts and attacks on you may continue. I don't know how long the loneliness is going to be your only company or how long it's going to feel as if God is not talking to you or how long your children are going to keep making bad choices or go down the wrong paths. I don't exactly know what happened to my grandfather in this area. I will never really know for sure, but here's what I do know. I do know that there is enough supernatural and inexplicable peace and rest to be found in Christ to last you until such a time as he is going to change your circumstances, which he will. (laughs) I do know, and I'm going to say it again, that there is inexplicable, supernatural peace, contentness and rest to be found in Christ until such a time as he will change your circumstances. I will wipe every tear from their eyes is the promise of Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way when he talks about the times of being downhearted in Romans. He says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God has poured his love into our hearts. God has poured his love into your heart. There is available to you a strength and a power and a love that is beyond this world. Jesus faced the ultimate abandonment on the cross. He faced the ultimate lack of blessing in his incarnation. The ultimate darkness and uncontrollable thoughts before he went to the cross when he was sweating blood. And he had the worst attack from our ultimate enemy, Satan. And because he's done that, you live by this hope. You are filled with the Spirit. When you are downhearted, you come to the table. You tell God how it is. We ask him to change our circumstances and by the grace of God, our hearts may enter to rest in his unfailing love. Let's pray. Father, I bring before you every down heart this morning. There are many. There are so many things 
that we need to tell you that are not as they should be, that are not as we want them to be. We face, we feel the hurts of them on a daily basis. God, I pray that we would come to the table, even right now, in our hearts, and say, this is how it is. God, will you change it? I pray for healing where it's necessary. I pray for godly company where it's necessary and needed and wanted and desired. I pray for wisdom where it's necessary. You are our dad and you promised that you'd give us these things. Give them to us, we pray. We know that you can. And we want it and we desire it and we seek it so deeply. And Father, because we've asked you and because you've heard us, and because you receive it, and because we, you love us. Lord, we receive your peace, your trust. Let us yearn for the day when you, Lord Jesus, will return. Your promise is so firm in your word that you are coming. In fact, you're coming soon, you said, Come, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name alone. Amen.